Welcome to the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. My name is Daniel Azel, your host for season four, and in this week's episode, it's taken from our recent webinar on the state of scientific purchasing. Frank Barker, Sara Lopez, and Rebecca Turpin have been digging into the data from the research and have put together a few of the key findings to share with you all in this episode. Hello and welcome everyone to today's uh, Marketing Science webinar, which is going to be all about our recent survey into the state of scientific purchasing. This is the fourth time we've run this survey and the biggest we've done yet with over 250 scientific purchasers sharing insights on their individual buying behaviours with us. So let's get things going. Frankie, you're going to get us started. So when you're ready, unmute and uh, take things away. Thank you, Danny. So we're going to look at some of the data uh, or converting customers through content. But the first slide that I'm going to show you is some of the data around how long the purchasing process was. We're going to compare that to last year's survey as well. So around 40% of people said that it was uh, took under a month. These are people buying things. And around 25% of people said between one to three months. So comparing that to data from last year's survey, this suggests that sales cycles are shortening. And content is playing a huge role in this. Furthermore, if we if we then uh, compare that to what the marketers said in the State of Scientific Marketing Survey, so this is for the uh, this is a sister survey which accompanies it, you'll see that there's a bit of a disparity there, with four to six months being the most modal and the median response as well. So perhaps this is a perception issue, more of a perception issue, where the the uh, purchasers only consider themselves in the purchasing or sales cycle once they've requested a quote or a contact whereas the marketers have been lining them up much sooner further down the funnel uh, from the education phase. So just moving on to the next question, how did you find pricing information? This is the big debate as to whether to have your pricing information public or, or private. I think Danny's going to launch a poll now if you just you guys just let, let us know how you, what you think on, on the matter. But um, public pricing has increased by 13.3% compared to last year. So it's pretty simple, but it's bottom of funnel content that people want to engage with. In fact, our pricing at Azo Network, it always gets the most engagement. Like we spend ages putting together these lovely presentations, top of funnel content, but then the stats you know, bear out that uh, people just want to stare and study your price book. So yeah, it's uh, a, a big sort of debate going on. So I think uh, we can come back to that in the debate afterwards. This next slide is referring to Forbes' recent study where they published data saying that it costs between five and seven times more to acquire a new customer than it does to uh, to retain an existing one. And that's um, borne out with uh, 68% of respondents strongly agreeing that previous experience of working with a vendor really influenced their, their decision to buy in a positive manner. So the takeaway here would be investing in your customer service and your post-sales um, support and documentation, create training videos, uh, investing in customer success stories. As marketers, I know the four of us, and certainly I'm sure a lot of people on the call will get sold to quite a bit. Think about the last, last thing you, that you bought. We've recently bought a new um, sales enablement software called Seismic. We'll give them a shout out. Which basically houses all of your sales and marketing content and, and aligns your content so that you're all on the same page. Sales only send out what's marketing approved and marketing have basically full control over what gets sent out. So it's in, in line with brand guidelines. But as part of their sort of customer service, we have a customer service rep. We have a knowledge base that we can refer to, uh, certification. There's a Seismic University. 
So four of us are all, all going through certain accreditation at the minute where we'll um, watch this space for all of the uh, Seismic University badges that will be proudly displayed on our individual LinkedIn profiles. So um, it's just another way of, of ensuring that the customer becomes more of an advocate for you. So firms love getting new business, uh, but in the current climate, it can be worth um, a strategic consideration, whether it's a better use of resources to shore up your existing customer relationships and make sure that that's coming on for a, a renewal. Now, as marketers, we preach the importance of brand building further up the funnel with more educational content. We then try and educate them through the stages of awareness at the top of the funnel through to consideration content and then decision making content at the bottom of the funnel. Now, the next slide appears to fly in the face of that with 63% of respondents citing that their first type of content that they engaged with was product information. So bottom of the funnel content. So I need a product. I'll go to company X. In this case, I need an NMR spectrometer. I'll go to Brooker. If only it were that simple as marketers. So remember, we're talking about this in the wider context of awareness in the buyer's journey. And at any given moment, only 3% of buyers are actually ready to purchase. So we look at the top of the funnel with the awareness stage. This could be a podcast, could be a social media snippet or an interview with a thought leader, key opinion leader, great content. In fact, it could be all three. So we often will take the video team, go to a, a client's customer and film their key opinion leaders talking about tackling food fraud or the issues in their particular application. We've then got video that can be used in webinars. It can be used in social snippets. It can be used in podcasts. It can be transcribed into an interview as you know, we'll, we'll see in more detail when Rebecca shows us later. So yeah, it really does the job of raising awareness of a particular issue and then acts as a gateway to get people further down the funnel and continue their journey. So as we move down the funnel to middle of funnel content, we've got an ebook called Food Adulteration in the Honey Industry. This is actually a compilation of seven or eight, not just food authenticity, but honey specific honey authenticity uh, interviews. So these are the leading experts in their field talking about those subject areas. Um, so it's great if, if they're the types of people that you're trying to target, you're trying to target a food technician within the um, honey industry or the wider food safety industry. And then that naturally leads on to the product profile at the bottom of the funnel. So decision-making content, as it flows through into the next piece of content, it takes the, the visitor on a more specialized journey and they get closer to the product information. And here's just an example of how we've grouped the content by application. So if food safety and testing is your thing, you've got all the different types of content there grouped by um, the specific application. So remember that, actually, if we knit back a couple of slides, it was 63% of people said that the first place they went to was the product profile. But as marketers, we know that's there's a disconnect there. It's just not true. So in reality, the hard work's already been done by the marketing team, optimizing content, brand awareness campaigns, ranking in the search engines, search pages, social media, thought leadership, etc. Being part of that conversation and being associated with the technology or application always offering the chance to learn a little bit more on the next stage of the journey. So when it's time to buy as a purchaser, as a brand, you've gone above and beyond expectations. You've built trust. They've been educated to the nth degree. And there's only one place they're going straight to your product page to request more information. So whilst we're on the subject of funnels and conversion data, this is a bit more sort of taking a step back towards the overall ASO network. Uh, this is from a sample size of data for, I think, 90 days we've got. But across 12 different websites and 100 million plus scientific visitors, we, we have some fantastic data sources, you can see. So 
which content type generates the most page views. Our articles are a great top of funnel piece of content. So they generate 2.4 million page views or around about 82% of the traffic. Brilliant traffic generators. People searching for their keywords find their articles. They're great for long tail search terms as well. So really those sort of like six, seven, eight word terms will find uh, a piece of content that can then take them on onto their uh, customer journey. However, they are very general awareness or top of funnel. So the buying intent isn't necessarily evident all the time, but they have done their, their main job, which is being found, raising awareness of a problem or solution. So you can see product profiles have about, I think it's about a tenth or maybe even 9% of the, the page views that articles get. But then if we flip the question on the next slide and we look at which content produces the most sales qualified leads. So even with a tenth the traffic, the product profiles now generate five times the SQLs. Now that's, if you do the sums, that's about 60 times more effective at generating SQLs than articles are. And that's purely because product profiles, you know, people are there for, for one reason only, because they're interested commercially in your technology. But yeah, that's a fascinating stat in that you've, you've got horses for courses. Articles are brilliant at generating awareness. Product profiles are fantastic at generating sales qualified leads. And then somewhere in the middle, we're going to look at marketing qualified leads. So this is where there isn't necessarily a buying intent, but there is certainly a, a, an area of interest, a uh, registration or an expression of wanting to learn more. So we've recently developed a series of industry focus and lead generation eBooks, a bit like the one that you've just seen, where they're a compilation of the best content from various industries. These sit within relevant top of funnel and middle of funnel pieces and generate MQLs or subscribers who we can then remarket to. Also our webinar program, as you can see there, webinars are actually the best um, marketing qualified lead generator. So that's not to say that they're ready to buy right there and then, but they are saying, I want to learn more on your webinar because the content and the subscriber fit is so accurate between, particularly for webinars and eBooks, we have conversion rates that are around 20%. So just over one in five, almost one in four people who land on a webinar registration page will then subscribe to that webinar, which is a testament to, to Danny and the webinar team. And then similarly, about one in five who land on the ebook pages will then do a similar sort of subscribe to receive more updates from that particular application or technology. So we class these as a subscriber and then use their registered interests to display more targeted content around their area of interest and expertise. So for the generation of sales qualified leads, you can see that product profiles, if we put all the sales qualified conversion rate data together, they lead the way for conversion rates. Now, the previous slide shows that webinars and ebooks are fantastic marketing qualified lead generators. That's the previous one. However, if you just want SQLs that are ready to buy, then product profile pages are clearly the most effective. And then this is grouping both those slides together. So you can see the product profiles have the, the highest SQL conversion rate, which albeit is lower, but still they're clearly the best at, at creating or generating SQLs. But then if you want to generate more traffic and more marketing qualified leads further up the funnel who you can then remarket to later webinars ebooks and that sort of middle of funnel content it's a fantastic way to do that so that should bring to a, a close my my slides is there any um danny do we have the the poll results for yeah so it looks like yeah the majority of people aren't publishing their pricing so 70 percent say they're not 30 percent say they are be interesting to know out of those 30 percent if you are sort of a commerce site where you're selling direct to consumer on your site itself but of that 70, so Frank, if that many people aren't doing it, and if we think more and more of the sort of buying journeys done off before speaking to sales team, they want to do the people doing their research, what are some of the good ways that marketers can reduce 
a bit of friction. So if I'm researching a product, how can this site help me find the information I want without having to go into all the details about if you add this on, you add this, it's going to cost this, etc. Yeah, I'd say so. Seventy percent. I mean, our price guides in, in in the resources there. So we, uh, well, we, we have rate cards, but also we have this sort of like a, a blog piece which would say this is what a typical starter customer who wants to generate leads and drive brand awareness and drive traffic to their own website. This is what it would look like. So there's ways and means around of it without actually showing your hand. Although I would sort of refer it back to the sort of to a luxury car. If you're buying, say, a Mercedes, then yeah, it would say starting from five nine 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 and then you know that there's additional add-ons and customer service and, and warranties and things that you can add on to it so you can address it in a blog without fully exposing your hand but i think more and more people are actually well, looking for that pricing information and again using our sales enablement platform we see that you put a presentation together people just they spend most of their time on the pricing it is worth considering yeah, it'd be interesting to see if the reason why people are reluctant to is perhaps maybe it's just the complication of the products they're selling, but if it's something to do with the fact that their sales team wants that information kept back so that when they get on the sales call, they've got sort of a negotiating hand. It'd be interesting to see what, what people think there. So do share any thoughts. We're going to move on to Rebecca now. Over to you whenever you're ready. So I'm going to look at how we can create memorable content so if we consider our respondents' answers here, we can see, as Frank has said, that most people remember being influenced by product information when making a purchasing decision. But we've also collected valuable insights from the survey regarding memorable content that resonated with the respondents. These responses have highlighted a diverse range of engaging materials, including video explainers, application notes, useful diagrams, succinct text, YouTube videos, social media ads, webinars, data sheets, video lectures, and way more. So the question is, how do we effectively organize all this information into a clear marketing strategy that allows all of the memorable content pieces to truly stand out to your customers? At the top of the funnel, the primary content is to create awareness and capture the attention of your target audience. Compelling and relevant content such as blog posts, social media updates, videos and podcasts helps you to establish your brand presence, spark interest and generate initial engagement. By delivering valuable information and insights, you can attract potential customers and initiate the funnel process. Top of funnel content might include video, video podcasts. Podcasts can show engaging audio conversations, introducing industry topics, trends and challenges sparking interest among your listeners. The Azo Network podcast, Something About Science, features our site editors giving a roundup of the latest research that's piquing their interest, for example. And then on social media, using bite-sized posts, engaging visuals and thought-provoking discussions on platforms like Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook can help generate awareness and initiate conversations. You'll already have great pieces of big rock content where you spent valuable energy and resources creating quality, unique content, which stands the test of time. Using your webinars, podcasts, long form videos and ebooks to create smaller pieces that can grab attention and act as teasers to promote and drive your audience to read, watch or download long form content from your website. For example, a key point relating to the application of your product from a long form video can be a great 30 second video to push your point to your audience clearly. Blog posts also offer information to address industry pain points, offer insights and establish your brand as a thought leader. As potential customers move further down the funnel, 
then to the consideration stage, where they actively evaluate various options and seek solutions to their specific challenges. Content plays a critical role in nurturing these leads and guiding their decision-making process. Through sort leadership articles, case studies, white papers, webinars and email campaigns, you can provide in-depth information, address pain points and showcase the unique value your products or services offer. By positioning yourself as an expert and providing valuable content, you build trust and credibility, increasing the likelihood of conversion. Interviews with industry experts, customers or thought leaders that provide insights, case studies and real life examples help potential customers evaluate their options. Insights from one of your customers showing the applications of your product can show where you fill another customer's needs. Personalised email campaigns can deliver relevant content such as industry reports, guides and comparisons to nurture prospects and build trust. Webinars where experts present educational content, share best practices and address specific pain points can help prospects to make informed decisions. In scientific webinars, it's essential to have engaging speakers who can effectively summarise and convey the main points rather than overwhelming your audience with complex calculations and excessive granular details. So now we come to the bottom of the sales funnel. This is where potential customers are making their final purchasing decisions. Content tailored to this stage aims to convince and persuade prospects to choose your offerings over your competitors. Case studies, product demonstrations, testimonials, comparison guides, and detailed product information all play crucial roles in facilitating the decision-making process. These content types highlight the benefits, features, and real-world applications of your offerings, allowing prospects to visualize how your solution solves their problems and ultimately leads to conversions. So this content might include white papers, providing detailed insights, data and analysis to support the decision making process, highlighting the advantages of your products or services and application notes and product information, providing technical specifications, case studies and real world examples to instill confidence in potential buyers. This, as we've seen, is the most memorable content you'll be providing to your customer. So ensuring it's clear, concise and easy to follow is crucial to ensure the purchase. Of course, not all these content forms can be categorized in just one stage of the buying journey. For example, video can be utilized across all stages with the type of video content varying based on the customer's position in the funnel. Two examples of this would be product demos, which would be positioned in the decision-making stage. A product demo video caters to customers who already know what their problem is and they're actively seeking a specific solution. Whereas, A more abstract and engaging 2D animation video can serve a greater purpose higher up the funnel, capturing attention and showcasing how your product fits into various applications. Wonderful. So just before you get started, Rebecca, I wanted to just come in and talk a little bit more about those videos. So you talked about the importance at the bottom of the funnel. What about sort of in the advocacy stage once they become a customer? What does a post-sale video marketing strategy look like? Where do they live, et cetera? Okay, so shorter explainer videos for using your products and uh, aftercare guides as well can be really helpful for your customers to have in a sort of collection or somewhere where they can easily share them internally. So you could do that on a YouTube or a Vimeo playlist or as Frank mentioned earlier on, we work with Seismic. (laughs) They've got their own uh, website within their website which hosts all their training videos and information which is quite fun because you feel like you're a reaching achievements every time you finish one. <laughs> Do you think there's any value in having sort of training videos live so they act as a sort of a as a marketing video as well as a post-sale video? 
Or does it depend on the level of detail it goes into, I suppose? Um, yeah, it depends on the content. If it was a sort of product demonstration that would also be useful as an application video, then potentially you could keep that for both. Yeah. But what we're saying, throughout the cycle, we like video. Video works really well. <laughs> I think it, dep it depends on how what level of detail it goes into. But certainly if it's, yeah, it, it can't do any harm, really, unless, unless you're giving away the crown jewel secrets. I think if you know that the company's got a lot of post-sales support and customer service, then it fills, it inspires you with confidence and makes you think, right, yeah, these, are the, these guys are going to look after me after I've spent tens of thousands, if not half a million dollars with them, depending on what you're buying. Yeah. Right, Sarah, over to you. Thank you, Danny. So now that we have seen the overall channel and content influence, it's interesting to highlight the biggest difference I've spotted between different age groups like we did last year and compare these results. So let's start with the youngest age group, respondents under 35. So the influencers, videos and application notes is stronger, 74 and 91% respectively in this age group than in the other two. So that might be a sign that it's time to look at your video content strategy like we were talking about before. The youngest cohort we surveyed is the most influenced by social media. 30.4% were influenced and that is up 5.2% from last year. And they are also the least influenced by print publications with a 42%. The cohort apps of choice are LinkedIn and YouTube with just over 71% of people in this age group using these personally and daily and Instagram with a 58.6%. I was just taking a look at my most used app the other day and it turns out that over the last week I've spent over 10 hours on TikTok. It didn't feel nearly as much and it surprised me quite a bit. It was 10 hours on TikTok and nine hours on Twitter. Safe to say I have a long commute from and to work, but still that is quite a lot and it didn't feel that lot as much. If you want to check yourself, by the way, in Android, it's under settings and then you look for um, digital well-being and then you get a very comprehensive and sometimes scary summary of what your phone activity is. What do you guys say? You were talking about something like that, something related. Frankie, how's your phone usage gone? Yeah, well, since we've been discussing it, I'm very conscious to try and reduce it, obviously, for the you know, trying <laughs> trying to live like a proper life, as well as obviously balancing work commitments. But I, I suppose my, my biggest ones are WhatsApp and Facebook for the last week, although they are reducing, I'm proud to say. It's like a badge of honour. And also Vinted, which is not related to work, but it's also a great way of uh, getting some bargains online. How about you guys, Danny, Rebecca? I've just put mine in the chat. So it's WhatsApp, Gmail, Instagram. So yeah, Mark Zuckerberg owns a lot of my time, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I was a bit surprised. I thought it was going to be CrossFit number one, but I maybe need to spend a bit more time. Uh, Got that in, ding. <laughs> Didn't think you'd mentioned it. <laughs> Rebecca, what about you? Similar, uh, I imagine. Yeah, mine is mine's TikTok, which is way in the lead, followed by uh, Instagram and WhatsApp, and then everything after that is significantly less time. It, it creeps up, I'm telling you. I know TikTok definitely doesn't. <laughs> yeah. All right. So moving on, just let us know what you think in the comments and I'll take a look after it later. So the next age bracket that I've looked at is 36 to 55. And here we can see the highlights. So keeping in trend with all age groups, the manufacturer's website has the strongest influence with 87%. Online research usually starts with a Google search. So SERPs, SRAP search engine result pages visibility is key. Print publications are stronger in this group than in the previous one which I found surprising. 
And if your target audience falls within this cohort, consider creating online content that can also be distributed offline. Just like Frankie was talking about the industry focus ebooks, we've created them from an online medium, but also when we go to events, we can print a couple, have them on show. It works well on both mediums. However, apart from product information, there doesn't seem to be a dominant strong influence in this cohort, which suggests a mix of marketing content distributed on the previously mentioned channels will work best if paired with succinct product information. And last but not least, we have the over 56. This age group is the most influenced by search engines with 87% marking these channels influential, 41% of which noted a strong influence. And we also notice a lower influence of secondary vendors' websites which suggests that people over 56 know exactly where to look to find the information needed when they are in buying mode, complementing the research with both online and offline publications. And product information is the most influential type of content just across all age groups with a 93%. But compared to last year's results in this age group, webinars are now 17.8% more influential, whilst blogs are 14.4% less influential. Email as well reminds a nice complement to your content strategy to drive people to your website and to your product information. And it's up slightly from last year's results, 9%. And we have also seen this year that email is the bias preferred way to keep updated about launches and news about your products. So we have created, as Rebecca mentioned, a fully book on what we have found that works best for email marketing. And moving on, another section of our survey I wanted to highlight for you is the vendor traits. We've asked our respondents to rate the following traits as not important, somewhat important, or very important for them when selecting the provider. 91% of respondents labelled the relevance of the content provided as important. So, as we've said, mentioned many times before, display the features and benefits of your products in a clear format to achieve a higher conversion rate. The second most important vendor trait, with 90% of respondents labeling it as important, is responsiveness. So think about your customer journey and your customer retention policies, as 80% of buyers have returned to the same vendor due to their purchasing experience. So we have seen in our survey that the most successful purchases are the ones where the vendor only contacts their customers when requested. Being available and responsive converts more than frequent communications, which are often irrelevant to the buyer. If immediate responsiveness when requested is still something your business might be struggling with, as a rule of thumb, weekly contact seems to also be effective according to the data. Next in the list, we have recommendations from peers and then user experience, one playing an important role in brand awareness and consideration, and the other in lead conversion. So first, starting off with the recommendations, 69% of respondents have indicated that recommendations from peers influence the purchase. Again, your customers are your best brand ambassadors. A happy customer will recommend your brand like we are doing with Facebook, and they will be happy to influence a purchase. And then 65% of respondents indicated that a good website user experience is important when purchasing. Well, this trait is more noticeable when missing. is one of them you only seem to care about when it's lacking, which will have a negative impact in your funnel when those customers drop off the buying journey. One good starting point to improve your user experience is conversion rate optimization, where you can create and run A-B tests on your website, changing key elements and analyze how your customers respond. CRO can, can help you identify those pain points and optimize your customer journey. And last but not least, we have the vendor's local presence and involvement as the leader. 56% of respondents have indicated that the vendor's local presence has been important when purchasing. And although the trade's relevance has decreased 16% from last year, still over half of your potential customers will notice your involvement in local communities and choose your products. 
And then finally, we have thought leadership, which acts as a way of generating brand awareness and familiarity with your brand. We have seen that relevant content is what makes a prospect convert. However, brand awareness is the entry point for your prospect to consider you as a potential vendor in the, in the first place. And this is all I got for you today. Hope this has given you some ideas for you to improve your marketing strategy and communication. All right. Thanks, Sarah. I did want to clarify a question from Nancy about the, the source of the data. So uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Azo Network is a branch of 12 industry-specific websites, 100 million unique annual visitors per year. And then within those, we've surveyed a, a small percentage of the purchasers who are actively buying scientific products within the last sort of six to 12 months. And then that's where the data has come from that we've put together in this market report. All that goes is explained a little bit more detail in the first couple of pages of the ebook as well. So you can download that from the handouts and check that out at any stage. Right, guys, we've got some good questions. Uh, I wanted to tackle Ross's question first so I don't lose it in the chat. So he's asked, he's interested in the value or lack of value in gating content. Example, asking for name, email address uh, if one does not have a marketing automation package linked to their CRM. So Currently, they gate their content so that they can see who is downloading and their sales team can reach out. What do we think? Is that an effective strategy? Frank, you probably spend the most time in CRMs and data captures. What do you, what do you think? Well, it, it depends. I'd say uh, there's two schools of thought. You can do sort of more aggressive lead generation where you gate everything or almost everything. Or you could look at demand generation where you, you don't gate quite as much. You, you only gate, say, the, the real bottom of funnel content or or when somebody wants to be requested for a callback. Depends on how big your how big your sales team is, how many leads they're already they've already got. So if you are flooding them with leads and you're sending them sort of marketing qualified leads, then yeah, I think we can all agree that sales team want they want the leads who are ready to buy. So if you can do that, you you might if you're going to provide them with the sales qualified leads that are ready to buy, it's probably more towards not gating as much. So that you offer more content for free so that by the time you do actually get a data capture, you know that they've consumed a lot of content, but they've, they've actually taken the time to surrender their, their data to you or submit their data to you. Or it, it would be a case of, I suppose, if, if you do have the ability to nurture people more in detail, then ebooks, webinars, you're generating a lot of marketing qualified leads. I wouldn't pass those on to the sales team in that form because they're not ready to buy. You'd just be, you'd be annoying the, the subscriber, you'd be annoying the salesperson. But you can certainly add them to marketing programs and warm them up that way. Yeah, you don't necessarily need marketing automation software to do it. You can do it with email platforms and just sort of regimented email sends. But yeah, so it really does depend on how big your sales team is. And also, if you're not going to get as much content, then you're going to get far more page views and, and, and less sort of fewer leads further down the funnel. But then it's important that sort of upper management understands that as well. Because if you've got upper management who are driving aggressive lead generation objectives and KPIs, and you're doing demand generation, you're only going to have a very small number of sales qualified leads, but you'll have a lot of ungated page view activity. That's the most important thing, isn't it? If you are going to make a change to whatever you're doing, you've got to communicate that across the board. Because if you're month on month reporting a thousand MQLs, or a thousand leads, and then all of a sudden you decide to unget everything, and then it's one or five or whatever. There's going to be some questions asked. So if you are sort of pivoting strategies, then yes, it's got to be. It's a could be could be a good idea. Could work for you. But you've definitely got to communicate that internally. Otherwise, it'll never get going. Should we launch the uh, emergency poll? We've got a poll on that very uh, very subject. For what percentage of your leads are SQL? 
Yeah, so. that's that's coming that's coming in now. I'll also we'll take a look at the the previous one as well when whilst that's being answered. So sorry, you were talking about UX. It looks like um navigation's the most most important across the board. I'd have to agree with that. I can't the things that annoy me most are not being able to find what I need quickly, probably followed by multiple pop-ups within a second of being on the website too many display ads and things like that but yeah what are, what are your thoughts on that yeah absolutely i see intuitive navigation then clear engaging content and that's the two pillars that you need to me um user experience means lack of pain points it means that you have to make sure that your customer can't move through the funnel without any pain point without any trouble in the way one good way to start doing this is, as I say, with CRO, just to identify if in your customer, if your ideal customer journey, is there's any way where it's it becomes a bit difficult for your customer to convert or, you know, reach a goal or complete a purchase and whatever your goals are. You have to address those first and then you can start thinking about loading speeds or another like responsive design, making it fancy, add parallax effects on your website, all those Nice to have, but not really important to me. First, you have to make sure that you pave the path for your customers to to convert, and then you can start thinking about the scenery along the way. So, yeah, I completely agree. Rebecca, Franca, any thoughts? Any sort of things that irritate you about about websites? Yeah, I just um, intuitive nav- navigation, being able to find what you want. So, I often find like videos are really useful because you go onto a website, and you're trying to you're trying to understand exactly what it is a, co- a company does. Obviously, there's some weird and wonderful solutions out there that, that help people in, in ways that you couldn't even imagine before getting on their website. So I often find like a, a quick sort of 60 second explainer video that, that conveys that complex concept very succinctly. That helps a lot. I often find myself looking for a video to understand what does this software actually do? Because a picture paints a thousand words and a video paints far, far more than a picture. But yeah, that and the navigation and maybe a search bar as well. We've added a search bar to Azure Network and it means that people can type in video, lead generation, demand generation, brand awareness, and it just rips up all the content, brings up all the content that they could possibly want to look at from there. Yeah, there's a really interesting comment from Jun Sun about community marketing. And she's basically saying, with Notion, there is an active community. And Notion has also got an official chief community officer to build the community. Uh, but she's saying they don't see very often for scientific instruments, this kind of thing, besides sort of the relevant trade shows, conferences, etc. She's saying that Azo has established a large pool of resources on well-defined topics, example, materials, mining. Any thoughts on establishing interactive platforms to initiate communities around those topics? I think that's a really, really good idea. Definitely something for us to to discuss. I know we have had sort of initial chats about it in the past. How we exactly would would do it is still to be confirmed. Frankie, you got any any thoughts on that? Well, thank you very much. Uh, comprehensive question as well. So in in the comments, we've got the online community. We've got LinkedIn. Uh, each of the site brands has got a LinkedIn. Um, community as well that we're building so i'd encourage you to seek that out and tag people particularly from the industry tagging thought leaders tagging people what they think tagging companies tagging publishers researchers that sort of thing yeah it's a good way to start the conversation and like we say being part of that conversation is a is is the first step of of the brand awareness journey yeah absolutely good thoughts there and definitely something for us to talk a little bit a little bit more about i like that chief community officer I i think we'll have one of those soon a quick ones from Diane Williams about gating content. So gating content, Diane, just very quickly, 
is about putting a data capture in front of a piece of content. So if there was an ebook, you'd have you'd have to subscribe or submit your details. That's what we call a data capture. And then uh, SQL means sales qualified lead. So that's typically anything with purchasing intent that's from a, a target customer or a, a, a characteristic target customer. So we, we, we actually score leads according to the characteristics of the customer, what, what they look like, i.e. is it a big company? Is it in their target market? Are they selling the right applications? And then also their behavior, are they taking the right steps to somebody who, who you think that could lead to a sale? So something like, yeah, they've requested pricing, they've requested a quote, they want a call back from your sales rep. They're the kind of behavioral triggers that make someone go from marketing qualified to sales qualified. Marketing qualified, dead easy. It's about signing up to webinars and blogs and subscribing to ebooks and things. That may be a download. But then as somebody gets more intent towards a purchasing decision, that's when they jump from MQL to SQL. But good question. Yeah, so we've got a couple more here to, to tackle. Rebecca, you were talking about you talk about the importance of case studies. Do you have any good sort of templates or ideas about how you can, how marketers can gather those in an effective way? Sure. So when we when we create case studies, the format that we usually use is to have a section about the original issue that the customer was having, and then a section about the solution that we offered, and then a section about the results. And we try and include highlighted statistics to give an overview as well of the uh, of the case study. And then for testimonials, having some set questions to ask about each of your product offerings just gives a good basis for making sure that you kind of get what you want out of the testimonial when you are interviewing somebody. Good, yeah. I think every good story has a beginning, a middle and an end. That's the problem, solution, result. That's it's the same principle. Even when you're sort of telling children's stories, it's the same beginning, middle and end. That's how we're taught to tell stories. So very simple, but very effective. Sarah, let's bring you back in for a final one. What about recommendations on the sort of the topic of case studies and things like that? How can you get your clients to recommend you to other people who can buy from you as well? Well, the most straightforward way to just get someone to recommend is just to say an open incentive, um, you know, recommendation program. If you drop us a review or if you share this on your social media, or you give us a few nice words, you get an incentive, you get discounts, vouchers, etc. That is the most straightforward. But right now, what you can do, if, if I'm sure as marketers, you can think off the top of your head of a really good customer journey, a really good case where, you know, everything has worked perfectly and we've done great for this client. Why not reaching out to them and say, hey, do you mind dropping us a few words? Do you mind if we ask you a few questions or just do a case study or even just, hey, we've made a case study on this. Do you mind going over it? Are you happy with this? And with it being a good customer journey example, they will be more than happy to help you. And if not, what's the worst I can say is just no. So you can just move on and think of another cases or anything. And also keep in mind that if your customer service is good, people are going to be happy to recommend you from word of mouth or just to another peer. Not You won't necessarily be aware of it, but it will still happen. So those are a few ways that you can make sure just have good good customer service. <laughs> Yeah, another good one is if they've used your product, they've been happy with it, asking them to speak on your webinar or doing an interview, a thought leadership interview with them, they'll inevitably share that content and their network will then see it. So it will benefit from the network effect that might have not be aware of your of your product in the first place. So, yeah, some, some good ideas there. Frank, there was a question a bit before about 
being part of the conversation if you're a smaller sort of company or a startup. It's easy for the sort of the bigger companies as well that everyone's heard of. But if you're just getting started or you've got a fairly small team, how can marketing teams get their company sort of as part of the conversation around their subject areas? Yeah, well, I think social media in the last 10 years has certainly leveled the playing field. It means that David can compete with Goliath and you wouldn't be, you know, if, if you're if you're smaller and more agile, you wouldn't be bound by sort of what you can and can't post and process and things. Like if, if you've got if you've got the device in, in your hand and you are the subject matter expert, give someone license to to actually just be part of that community and start posting things and creating original content. So MP4s, images, slide decks, polls, that kind of thing on on LinkedIn or or, or on on other you know, social media platforms. That's the kind of thing that will get you into people's into people's funnel, into people's awareness, into people's sphere online. So yeah, doing that, tagging in the right thought leaders, tagging in the right customer customers, tagging people who are relevant within those communities as well. So it's not unlike uh, the question we had before. But yeah, I think a lot of it comes back to creating that original content. So if, if you spent time creating a, you know, a content day, for instance, you could video a handful of customers if you had invited customers to your your, um, your facility you could video them you could then take that video make it into social media snippets make it into podcasts make it into a transcription for a webinar that kind of thing yeah and just engaging with the community so whether that's in person or of course online you can do it globally and going to the leading industry events as well perhaps if we finish up just by looking at the the final poll so what percentage of your leads are sql so it looks like the vast majority, so over three quarters are either under 10% or 10 to 20%, which is where we'd expect most people to be. Yeah, there's a few a few bit higher. There's one who's over 50, over 50, but I guess that would probably be coming from a smaller team. Is that what you'd expect to see, Frank? Anything sort of under 20? Yeah, I think if we'd have asked this poll maybe in 2019, pre-COVID, before that all kicked off, it, I think more people would say, yeah, the numbers would be higher, around 20, 40 percent, 30, 40 percent. But now I think people understand that, yeah, like everybody's online, everybody's competing for content, everybody's competing for data. But there's got to be a, a level of respect. Uh, I think that's certainly come in from yeah, after things like GDPR and CCPA as well. Um, so the, the privacy laws in, in various different jurisdictions, that people are starting to respect those because you know everyone here is a consumer everybody gets marketed to so it's kind of do as you would be done by you wouldn't take the mic by sending them product information every week whereas you might you might send them a monthly newsletter keeping them up to date with the latest goings on in your application and industry but yeah under 10 percent is where i'd probably see most people yeah of course the question is sql so we, we generate a hell of a lot of leads but lots of them are mql and then it's the job of getting the mql towards the sql yeah i'm pretty sure we did ask this question a couple of years ago and there was sort of half the people on the call said over 50 percent. so that is interesting to see the big sort of shift there really good question here about asking how do you present niche scientific topics on short form social media tiktoks twitter youtube instagram reels etc linkedin is easier to text wall a post but what about the shorter form we actually did a podcast on this very subject a while back and whilst i'm looking for the link to share with you trey sarah perhaps if you could share some share some thoughts on this just a couple of little things you can do it depends on what you're presenting but let's let's use for this example just how to use a product how to use this machine so you can one thing you can do is just break them down into 
little chunks how to prepare the sample for this very specific application, then loading the application, the sample into the machine, then running the machine, analyzing the results. Let's say you can link on each video to the next part on TikTok. I've barely, I've watched, basically, I've watched movies on TikTok just jumping from part one to part two to part three. So if the, if the topic is engaging and having a shorter format, it's going to be naturally more engaging than seeing a 60-minute video presented to you you will get more engagement so don't be don't be afraid of feeling that it might be incomplete because you can just separate it in parts and maybe people that are just interested and have to prepare the sample for this specific application just will watch that but it will still be relevant and useful for them a big thanks to sarah rebecca and frankie for sharing their research with us all today if you've enjoyed listening then please think about leaving a review on your podcast provider share the episode on social media or with a colleague that you think will also enjoy it This podcast was edited by Jao Pinto and was brought to you by Azo Network. We'll be back again soon with more special guests for the marketing science community. We hope you can join us then. And until next time, take care and thanks for listening.